Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we'll do our usual Rockets week wrap and Texans game breakdown. But hey, Santa is coming to town and we're writing our letters to Santa. You'll want to hear what we're asking for for the Houston sports teams. What does Santa need to bring for the Astros, Texans and Rockets? Helping me with the wish list is my co-host and never naughty sidekick, a fellow jolly H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist Stephen Kerr. And I've got you fooled, obviously. <laughs> Stephen, if you are if you actually care more about winning than draft capital, it was a fun weekend for Houston sports. The Texans and Rockets both win. We'll discuss later whether it's a good thing for the Texans in particular. Oh, and the Cougars with a nice win against Oklahoma State, too. Yeah, I'll take the winning anytime, Robert. Draft capital is obviously nice, but, you know, you, you got to know what to do with it when you have it. Uh, just because of the way things have been lately, I will take every win we can get. Yeah, I'm with you, and, and we're going to discuss the, the Texans winning or losing this game and what we think about that. But let's start off with the Rockets because... Uh, some big news, uh, big news for Rockets fans, maybe minor new news around the NBA, but, you know, we think it's big news because they released Daniel House, which made room for them to move Garrison Matthews from a two-way contract to a full contract. I'll get to the release of House in just a bit, Stephen, but let's get to Matthews. I love the signing of Garrison Matthews for $2 million a year over four years. It's an absolute steal. You get a proven shooter, 38% from three for his career. Don't forget, it's not a super small sample size. He has 360 attempts in three seasons. Plus, high IQ, clutch, competitor, team player, high motor. I mean, I, I just love everything about this kid. Yeah, and, and I'm not asking you you know, to be a spoiler. Uh, give us a spoiler alert to your Christmas letters for the Rockets, Robert, but I'll bet you that that was probably on your list because, you know, we've discussed this on our podcast several times about giving Garrison Matthews that extended contract. And I must admit, you know, the more I watch him play, the happier I am that this has happened. Now, it, it would have been a Texans-like move if they hadn't, you know, if, if they had just let it go. <laughs> Thankfully, the Rockets aren't the Texans. They were smarter about it, and they gave the guy a contract. Yeah, I just, I tell you what. You know, every aspect of his game pretty much is improving bit by bit. And he has just provided so many different things for the Rockets. Certainly one of the main reasons that they are playing much better than they were a few weeks ago. He has one speed, too, and it's full yep. throttle. Full throttle. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just kind of sad that the Rockets couldn't find any team interested in dealing for Daniel House. He's an expiring contract worth just $4 million. He's the type of player who can get hot off the bench and give you 15 points on any given night. He plays an important position in today's NBA, a switchable wing defender who can shoot the three, 36% from three for his career. Almost the entire NBA feels like they have a shot at the playoffs when you look around, which tells me there's a great seller's market out there. There are plenty of injuries around the league right now. Of course, COVID also a whole factor in itself. And if nothing else, Stephen, I figured they could dump his contract for a one of those conditional second round picks, you know, like a late second that might never turn into anything similar to what the Rockets gave Cleveland for Kevin Porter. That's all I was thinking that they would get would be a low second round pick. And I mean, I guess, yeah, the dumping a contract would have been worth at least that. But I, th I don't think you would have gotten any more than that, Robert. I mean, here's a guy. He does show flashes that he can play, but just not often enough or consistently enough. Certainly not for my taste. The injuries have been a part of it. He's had some personal issues just. 
I, I mean, I think it's a head thing with him as much as anything, but whatever the case, he just wasn't helping the team this year, last year. You know, I was I was a little skeptical about him signing that contract or, or them signing him to that contract to begin with. But it was one of those things, you know, at the time, he kind of felt like he had to do. So, yeah, I, I don't think they would have gotten more than that. I guess they just figured we'll eat it and we'll just wave him. So we'll see what happens to him from there. It would have been a great story. Houston area kid, high tower. Went to U of H briefly. So, you know, a lot of Houston ties. Obviously, yeah. he wanted to succeed with the Rockets, but it was about consistency with him from game to game. You just never knew what Daniel House was going to show up. And and I said it in the podcast before, Stephen, this was about a guy that just didn't play smart enough for me. He he was not always great as far as his decision-making. Sometimes he thought he was James Harden when he didn't really – uh, have that kind of capability. He was more of a role player that had a brain of a, of a James Harden as far as, oh, I can do this. I can take any shot. I don't need to pass. I don't need to pull the ball back and maybe just, you know, make the safe play. There's just a lot of that stuff that bothered me. Yeah. And, and the opposite, I think, is what you're getting with Garrison Matthews. The guy is smart. You know, he, he's got such great ball instincts basically giving you everything that Daniel House wasn't giving you. So, yeah, definitely an early Christmas present for us <laughs> Rockets fans, Robert, that they did take care of that and uh, signed him up. What is it? Uh, I think $8.4 million, something like that. Even if he's not a starter, and he's been a starter and doing a great job over the last you know, couple of weeks, but even if he's not a starter, he's just a solid role player off the bench, and he's the type of guy that I know if he wasn't uh, in the rotation – he could handle it. You know, he's got that kind of maturity and it's not going to stop him. He, he knows that his job is just whenever he gets called on, you go out there, you give it everything you got. You know, just I love somebody like that. And you're, you're not paying. This is not much. This is two million a year. This is barely league minimum, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's a smart move financially, certainly a smart move all the court. So, uh, yep, we're celebrating in Rockets land for that, as well as the fact that they've just been playing so much better. You know, they, they've had a stubbed their toe a couple of times, but they've also had so many injuries to be dealing with, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah, a little bit up and down this week, but you almost got to throw away the two losses because in both of them, no Christian Wood, and one of the two, you had no Eric Gordon. And with injuries, you already had Porter and Green out. It's basically like you're not having three or four starters out there. Steven, that Hawks win, though, I got to get to that because that was my favorite win in the last two years. They came back from 19 points, 13 in the fourth quarter, overcame a red-hot Trey Young who scored 41 points. It wasn't like the Hawks rolled over. The Rockets just did an incredible job of coming back. The bench crew, the bench mob, my boy Shane Goon, Augustine. <laughs> we got to talk about D DJ Augustine. He he had a fantastic game, and he's playing some incredible basketball, hitting three-pointers like he's Steph Curry. I mean, what's good, gotten into DJ Augustine? Yeah, and wasn't it last year, Robert, we were kind of razzing on DJ Augustine a bit. We felt he was a little bit, you know, too over the hill, really wasn't going to be a good fit for this team. But I tell you, this season, he has shown some really good things. So, uh, yeah, he's been doing it all over the court. Josh Christopher, up and down, up and down over the course of the week, but more ups than downs. And you get excited the more you see him, Stephen, because you're thinking, okay, there's a little bit more to build on and a little bit more to build on. He, you know he's got the confidence. The three-point shot looks much better than any of us could have ever imagined so far. And the other thing about Josh Christopher is he's going to give you everything he's got on defense. Sometimes he fouls a little bit too often. But the physicality that he can give you, the explosiveness, and even you know putbacks. You know, he's 
all over the place, sometimes on the boards where you see him come out of nowhere with the rebound and a putback. So just a lot of little things that get you really excited about his potential and think, Maybe that's another steal along with Shane Goon. Well, and he's a bit young. He's still got some learning to do. And I, I believe, you know, he's he's had a start and he looks, he's looked pretty good. I, You know, the, again, it's one of those situations, the more you play him, I think the better he will turn out. At least that's, that's what we hope he'll do. Any other observations from the Rockets week? Anybody that you saw this week that you were liking, not liking? I'll tell you something I really liked, Robert. Maybe they should do more of these noon tip-offs on Saturday. You know, it's kind of an odd thing, especially when they were coming off a a back-to-back before, and then they have an early tip against the Pistons. They came out firing. Yeah, they let the Pistons back in the game, but they didn't let them completely overtake them. Man, uh, you know, maybe they should have more of those kind of uh, early tip-off games where you get up, eat breakfast, and go to the court and play the game. So, I mean, I thought the Pistons win was pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, the the Pistons are rebuilding too, and Cade Cunningham, yeah, he played pretty well. But every win, as I've said before, every win that the Rockets get, regardless of who it's against, is a big win, a big confidence builder for this team. And I don't think it was like Detroit rolled over. They were playing hard. The big thing when you watch that game was the Rockets started the game off red hot and ready to play. They scored 38 in the first quarter. And in a game where you're coming in and it's an early start, that's a key because sometimes you can just jump on somebody when, you know, they haven't got the, you know, dust out of their eyes yet. You know what I mean? They're rubbing their eyes still. Right. Exactly. (laughs) The other part about that is the Rockets are young. You know, a lot of this, uh, well, no, no teams don't like to play early. Hey, the Rockets got some kids out there. They're they're, going to bounce up out of bed. Not like you and me. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, it's like uh, teenagers, uh, they kind of like to sleep in. So I, I mean, I guess it could go both ways, but Either way, another impressive week, a couple of, you know, a couple of negatives there. But the Rockets overall, I'm just more and more excited about watching this team play than I was at the beginning of the season, Robert. Of course, I don't get them on television here in Austin unless they're on a national televised game, which as you and I both know, that's not going to be much of that this season unless, you know, maybe they'll start putting them on a little bit more if they get really hot. But I just I'm liking watching them play more than I used to. That's for sure. And man, I, I I can't wait till Jalen Green gets back. Unfortunately, there's just nothing coming out of that, nothing coming out of Porter. But you want to see those guys play. You want to see what kind of potential that they have. And the more bodies that you have, it, it's good. And 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 those guys, I, I don't feel like they're going to make you worse. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that think, oh, the Rockets are winning games and the Rockets are looking good because these guys aren't playing. Hey, Kevin Porter got him started on the streak. Jalen Green was starting to look good as as the streak started. So the the sooner the better as far as I'm concerned. Well, let me give you a little sneak preview because we're going to do our Christmas letters and Christmas lists. Uh, keep an eye out for my list. Jalen Green is on my Christmas list as far as you know, since you were talking about him. So, yeah, just just be prepared for that when we get to that. Yeah, I didn't want to give any spoils. Well, well let's get into it. I mean, Santa... Uh, it, it, it's coming pretty quickly. He's, he's on his way, you know, in the next few days. And Stephen, here's my letter for all Rockets fans out there. Dear Santa, can you please bring us a real point guard? Remember that year when we opened our beautifully wrapped box and found a healthy Chris Paul? Well, unfortunately, our big brother, James Harden, threw away the Chris Paul doll and Maybe he was getting a little worn around the edges, but man, we loved winding him up and letting him go each night. Now we have a new bunch of little brothers, and they need a Chris Paul that can last a few years, one that can set up the Jalen Greens, Josh Christophers, and Alperin Shangoons for years to come. 
please bring us a real point guard in the next year, Santa. Signed, Rockets fan. Yeah, love it. Actually, I, I think what James Harden did is he smashed the doll when he had a temper tantrum and then threw it away. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you, man. You know, point guard is you just we we don't we talk a lot about how important a point guard is. And maybe some people think it's a bit oversimplified, but no, it's so true. Just think what the Rockets could do if they had a real point guard. So I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Now, I wasn't as creative as you were writing letters to Santa, but I do have a Christmas list. And for my Rockets, here's what I really want, Robert. I'm just wondering, do you think Santa is able to perhaps invent a prosthetic hamstring? And this might actually encompass, you know, more than one sport. But right now I'm talking about Jalen Green. He's already had two hamstring injuries since he's been with the Rockets. Can we just have Santa, you know, just build him a prosthetic <laughs> that he could just put it on, you know, and, and that way it won't bend, it won't tear, it won't break, and he'll never get injured, at least not in that body part. Maybe he'll play a lot more. That means the Rockets will win a lot more. What do you think, Santa? Can you help me out there? Does Santa have a doctor at the North Pole with, you know, <laughs> creative uh, like the, the the Dr. DeBakey of the North Pole, I guess, is what we need. Somebody yeah, to I'll take that, too. Anything <laughs> to make those hamstrings stronger. And again, that, that could be, you know, maybe we, we could cross promote that on uh, any of the sports that we're talking about with all the injuries to Houston athletes, especially with hamstrings and groin injuries. Oh, man. Yeah. Just for for all the Houston athletes, that'd be a great little invention. And hopefully the technology on that gets better because I'm sure with the billions in sports, that would be, you know, something that you would want all the teams to have access to as a way to fix these hamstring and groin issues. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe simplifying things a bit, but, uh, you know, I certainly would love to see another Rockets championship in the Jalen Green era, just because we we didn't get one in the James Harden era and it's been a while. So that it kind of ties into that, you know, a healthy Jalen Green, Maybe a couple more, you know, back-to-back championships would be in the future. Yeah, we don't ask for championships from Santa. That's a little bit too much. But we're, we're, we're trying to just ease our way there. And before we share our letter to Santa for the Astros and the Texans, let's go ahead and break down one of the saddest bowl games of the bowl season, Stephen. It officially was the toilet bowl on Sunday, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Might as well have been. I didn't even watch it, so. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you read the Urban Meyer stories this week. What franchise is more pathetic? Who's more of a Grinch, Urban Meyer or Bill O'Brien? Or who's more Mr. Potter, Shad Khan or Cal McNair? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, Urban Meyer, we, we all, of course, our te- Texans fans, we certainly know what a jerk Bill O'Brien was and how he just put this team in such a mess. But Urban Meyer, I mean, here's a guy that just, I, I don't know. It, it's like somebody flipped a switch in his brain, and he just went totally off the tracks. You know, and this is the same coach that the University of Texas was considering hiring. And let me tell you, Robert, I kept praying from beginning to end that that would not happen. He would have been the last coach that Texas would have needed. Never mind, they had a five and seven season this year. I'll take it. I'll take Steve Sarkeesian and a losing season at this point over hiring Urban Meyer and God only knows what you would have gotten from him, considering what you got with Jacksonville. I mean, he kicked his kicker in training camp. First, I thought that was a joke, Robert, when I saw that on Twitter. But it was actually true. You know, womanizing. And, and when he was in college, recruiting allegations. He walks away from Florida, 
says he's got health issues, which I, I mean, I'm not discounting that, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. But he's off for what, maybe a year before he takes the Ohio State job? I mean, this is a guy that just obviously is unstable in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd almost have to say Urban Meyer's got Bill O'Brien beat on this one. Yeah, this is like a big old mental breakdown. And it's sad when you, you know, you're like, well, I'd rather have Steve Sarkeesian. That's what Steven just said. <laughs> yes, that's what I just said. I would rather, you know, you got to give him a little more than one season to pull this thing together. Yeah, I'll, I'll take what, what happened this season over the drama that Urban Meyer would have created. Bill O'Brien was just a, a lousy coach, a lousy NFL coach anyway. Urban Meyer got to have a lot of questions about his personality as well as about his coaching, at least in the NFL. Colts and Titans got to love being in this division. I mean, geez, wow. There's always something in this in the AFC South, isn't there? Boy, these two franchises are sad. So let's get to, you know, kind of what happened a little bit. And, and the Texans... Starting guards Lane Taylor and Justin McCray were out for this one, although I can't keep up with the offensive line musical chairs from week to week. So you figure it out. Whoever you think should be starting, shouldn't be starting. I don't know who's who your offensive line is from week to week. But Please don't give me a quiz, Robert, because I'll fail it. Believe me. <laughs> Christian Kirksey, uh, Demarcus Walker, A.J. Moore, Grugier Hill, all on the COVID list. By the way, good news for Grugier Hill after last week. That injury, nowhere near as bad as it looked. May even play again this year, which... Hard to believe. The Texans' fifth-round pick, Garrett Wallow, got the start in this one, and so did Simone Biles' boyfriend. I wish that was uh, what it said on the back of his jersey, Stephen, but no, it says Jonathan Owens is dead. <laughs> Jonathan Owens. He did get a start. Yeah, he might as well. Yeah, Mr. Simone Biles is what they should call him. <laughs> yeah, put that on the on the back of the jersey. And, and our motto, of course, as you know by now, we watch the Texans. So you... you don't have to, but you know, <laughs> if you'd watched them today, it would have been okay. They did win a game, albeit, you know, against Jacksonville. This is not on my Christmas list, Robert. I'll just throw it out there. You know, can Santa arrange the NFL schedule? We can just play Jacksonville every week till they get good. Oh man. Well, you know, we, <laughs> we get lucky that we get to play them twice a year. I mean, a lot of, a lot of That's franchises right. would love that. Uh, let's go through the drives and the key moments in this one. Offensively, the Texans start off 15 plays, 75 yard drive. Mills to Cooks for a 22-yard touchdown, but the Texans would have been three and out. But, hey, the Jags said, hey, we can do those Texans things, so, and they give them new life with the penalty on the punt. So, technically, this was the Texans' second straight week with the Davis Mills long opening drive touchdown. Yes, indeed. And, you know, Jacksonville didn't commit many penalties. The Texans actually had more bad penalties than the Jaguars, but that one sure proved to be big. And it's what led to the Texans' first score. I mean, the, these drives on the first possession and back-to-back -back weeks, you know, last week, of course, didn't matter because that was pretty much it for the Texans. But it gets even better. We'll get to that in a bit. Texans' defense gives up a nine-play, 79-yard drive, but they get down deep in Texans' territory. Can't do anything. 22-yard field goal, so it's 7-3. to three. But forget all about that because on in the ensuing kickoff, Traymond Smith got the Texans' first kickoff return for a touchdown in 12 years. That broke yeah. the longest active streak in the NFL. It was like I saw Haley's Comet, Stephen. Man, I, I just couldn't believe it, Robert. I knew it had been a while. I mean, because we've talked so much on this podcast over the last few years how pathetic the Texans' kick return game is, the punt return game. I knew it had been a while, but 2009, I, I couldn't believe it. And 
you know, when I found out who it was, it, it was even a little bit more surprising, just considering how long ago that he's been with the Texans. It was Jacoby Jones, who had a 95-yard return against the Raiders. The Texans ended up winning that game in 2009. That is absolutely crazy. Tremont Smith, a really good run, too. I, I got to say that. He broke a couple of tackles just before midfield. It kind of got out of a mess. Uh, Might have been one tackle, but there was a bunch of guys in there, and somehow he got through the I mean, I thought he was down, and all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere, and he's going, and he's gone. And so there you go. The defense, though, a 10-play, 75-yard drive, one-yard touchdown, James Robinson. A Jags fan, Stephen, though, runs out on the field during the touchdown. Apparently, they're getting really desperate for non-COVID players around the NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, along with, you know, wanting their five seconds of fame. And, you know, the uh, I guess the sheriffs or the police who tackled him, that was one of the hardest hits of the game when they actually got him to the ground. Put those guys in at linebacker, I guess. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it gets back to what we expect from these teams with a couple of three and outs. The, the defense, though, for the Texans, they get a sack on that three and out by former Jags fifth round draft pick Chris Smith Smith haunting his old team I'll get into the numbers that he put up a bit later but usually at this point in the season with the way the Texans are we're, we're gonna start having to pull out a uh, Rolodex like wh- where'd this guy come from I'm, Rolodex might be a little bit old to turn we put put put, put through uh our, our Google searches and find out who, who are these guys what, what's this guy again who, where'd he come from yeah I mean it's almost like the Rockets you know you're almost losing track of who they were getting and uh, taking so the Texans even more so but yeah Chris Smith you love it when you can play against your former team and do the kind of things he did so uh, he certainly was one of the keys to helping the Texans to the victory today especially with that sack Kaibi Fairbairn he hits a 52 yard field goal in the rain on the next drive after Farrell Brown his seventh penalty of the season stops the drive. Uh, somehow tight end getting seven penalties. Uh, I don't want to talk much about Farrell Brown. I want to talk about Kaimi Fairbairn, Stephen, because he had the 61-yarder last week. We're going to get to another big field goal from him later. But Fairbairn does this in the rain, in the rain. Yeah, that's what I, I was almost thinking. Man, are you sure you really want to do that? Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought they should have gone for it, honestly. But when he makes it, I'll take the points. Absolutely. Bill O'Brien never would let that happen. Oh, no. No, definitely not. Defensively, the Texans stuff a Trevor Lawrence quarterback sneak on fourth and one. One of the big plays of this game for the defense on offense. Davis Mills, quick couple completions, basically puts together a 21-second drive that sets up yet another Kaimi Fairbairn 52-yard field goal, and that ends the half. Boy. Yeah, you know, talk about somebody. We've been a little hard on him off and on throughout the, this season, last season. But uh, I tell you, Kaimi Fairbairn is just quietly adding him up uh, as far as getting those long field goals. And especially, as you said, doing it in the rain, that makes it even better. So we should start calling Davis Mills first half Mills because he looked good in the first half. Again, 13 for 15 at the half, 104 yards and a touchdown pass. But now comes second half Mills. And we know what to typically expect from him there. Uh, defensively, though, the, the Texans start off, and it's a three and out. Derek Rivers with the sack to end the drive. And, Stephen, that was the moment I asked, who's Derek Rivers? <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Can you enlighten us? Did you do any research on Derek Rivers? No surprise. A former Patriot, of course. Uh, he, yeah. he he played for them for three years under Casario, so we knew that was probably about a 50-50 shot. Uh, offensively, on the next drive, seven play, 40-yard drive, 
Fairburn, 25-yard field goal. Big play in this drive. Great read by Davis Mills on third and seven. Felt like the blitz was going to you know, throw him a little bit. He could feel it coming, though, and he lofted up a perfect pass for Philip Dorsett. Really, Stephen, one of the better reads and plays and throws that we've seen from Davis Mills. Well, and we're starting to see more of that, I think, each week, Robert. You know, but obviously what he needs to learn is to put together a full game of consistency. And I really think it will come because he is making some good throws, better throws than he was earlier in the season. He is starting to read defenses better. Now, in that same drive, he had an incomplete pass to Burkhead. It looked like they kind of miscommunicated on the route. But, you know, those things are going to happen no matter every now and then. But I do like the fact that I think Davis Mills is gaining confidence every week. You just got to figure out how to do it through the whole game. That's all. Yeah, the consistency's got to come. So I, I thought, well, after that, maybe we're seeing a new Davis Mills in the second half. But hold up just a second because uh, – and, and let's go to the Texans' defense right here. 12-play, 55-yard drive. They hold them to a field goal. Offensively, though, three and out. Then a defensive three and out. Again, Davis Mills – with a chance to show what he can do in the second half, after a three and out on the last drive, throws an interception, and that's the issue that those second half implosions. Uh, but it was his first interception in, 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 a, in a bit, and he's done a pretty good job of not making those type of throws. Uh, you know, our friend Greg Lucas said on Twitter that he thought Jordan Aikens should have fought a little bit harder for that ball. He thought that was on Jordan Aikens as much. I don't know about that. It, it was was not the easiest play to make if you're Jordan Aikens just to break that one up. I mean, it, this it was more than a 50-50 ball. He, he gave the defender a real chance at that one. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I did notice, and, and I've noticed this throughout the last several games, is that sometimes Davis Mills will throw into traffic maybe a little bit more than he should. And uh, he did that a couple of times. There was another completion in a different drive that was actually almost intercepted. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, it resulted in a completion. But that's the kind of thing that he really needs to be careful about because that's when you start making mistakes on a more regular basis. You got to know when to throw it in traffic and when not to. And those are just the things that I think a young quarterback like him will just have to learn over time. That interception leads to a field goal. It's 23 to 16. Texans still up by seven. Offensively, another three and out for Davis Mills. Defensively, the Texans respond three and out. Then offensively, Texans decide to punt after their drive stalls, instead of giving Fairbairn a shot at a 55-yard field goal. He had already hit a couple of 52s. He hit a 61 last week. He's red hot. I know it's raining, but it looked like it had settled down just a little bit at that point. Your thoughts right there, Stephen, because a field goal, eh, you put you up by two scores you know, in the last few minutes of the game. I don't know. Yeah, I was a little uh, puzzled about that, honestly, because, I mean, the way he was going, you know, but as it turns out, they get uh, the ball at the five-yard line, and, you know, the, the Texans defense, of course, comes in and does their job again. But, uh, yeah, it would have been nice, man, if he had nailed a, a third field goal like that, be player of the week in the NFL after all that. Yeah, the, Cam, Cam did a really good job punting in this game. He puts them back, and it could have been worse, uh, except the Texans commit a penalty. It cost about five yards, but they got lucky because Laquan Treadwell drops a third down pass, and that pretty much puts the nail in it for the Texans, or it would if you put together a little nice drive right here and, and, and end the game. And we had another Haley's Comet moment, just like we had earlier in the game with the kickoff because the Texans throw a screen pass 
on third down, a third and long, a third and nine, and it actually turns into a touchdown. Brandon Cook's 43 yards, the second touchdown of the game. I could not believe the screen, Robert. I mean, how many times do the Texans throw a screen and we keep saying it doesn't work? It doesn't work. You guys need to stop that. Yeah, that was I, – I, I mean, I must have said, wow, oh, my gosh, you know, three or four times because I sat there. I couldn't believe it. You know, they were just running the ball using Rex Burkhead over and over and over again, you know, playing it safe, which is what most teams would do. Come back with a play like that, and it turns into a score. And, you know, Cooks, I mean, he could have slid out of bounds – or not out of bounds. He could have slid down, let the clock run. I mean, that that play was just amazing on so many levels, Robert. And it obviously put the game away. Yeah, and you mentioned Burkhead. Burkhead on the game, 16 carries for 41 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. The Texans running game, they they keep doing it. You know, it's like, uh, let's see what happens. Maybe a miracle will happen. This week we'll actually get a big run because they don't get big runs. Good note by Adam Wexler on how bad the running backs have been. The last Texans rush for more than 10 yards by a running back anyway, was six games ago. It was Halloween, fourth quarter versus the Rams, down 38 to nothing when they were facing backups. I don't even know if that counts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can count that, but, you know, we'll take it. That anything to pad the stat sheet. No, I agree, Robert, but, you know, here's what it has. It, it, this is what it did in this particular game. You know, it did grind down the clock. Like on that first drive, the Texans – they had a 75-yard, 15-play drive. I think they took like eight minutes off the clock or pretty close to that. So while it is not definitely not the running game that you want to see on a consistent basis, there are times when you get just a you know trickle of yards here, trickle of yards there, some good passes. You can run down that clock and you know at least make some things happen. But you know, clearly the running game just has to get better overall. I want to talk about the big picture of this game in just a second, but – Let's go with our awards, our offensive MVP. You got Davis Mills, 19 for 30, 209 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Brandon Cooks, seven catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. Kaimi Fairbairn, I'm going to throw him in his offensive MVP, three for three, two 52-yard field goals, and three for three on extra points. Who do you got? On any other day, I would have given Kaimi Fairbairn the special team's most valuable player, but I'm going to go with him as the offensive most valuable player in this game. I'm going to say Brandon Cooks because Mills, 19 for 30, 209 yards. Eh, it was okay. Again, not great in the second half, but that first half, really good. So overall, I think he was, you know, above average to good in this game. Brandon Cooks, though, the two catches, the big one at the end of the game, you know, just he's Mr. Reliable. It's been a while since we named him in the offensive MVP. So I gave it to him. Why not? Yeah, why not? I I was kind of going back and forth between Cooks and Fairbairn. So, you know, maybe next week Cooks will be lucky enough to get it. I, I won't leave you out again next time, Brandon, I promise. Defensive MVP. Let me give you three guys that not so much candidates, but they're worth mentioning. Tavier Thomas, 11 tackles. Neville Hewitt, 10 tackles. Jonathan Owens. Uh, Mr. Simone Biles, 8 tackles. So uh, three guys that were getting tackles, but kind of quietly. It's I don't know. Uh, about the extent and the loudness of what they did. But I think this comes down to two guys, and, and it's probably pretty clear, Stephen, who it is, but Garrett Wallow, fifth-round draft choice. What did you get from Garrett Wallow out of the fifth round? Well, in this game, and I, I think this was his first start, 
in, in, in his Texans career. Is it, does that sound about right to you? Yes, it does. Uh, 11 tackles, five solo, one sack, one quarterback hit, one tackle for loss. Chris Smith, we talked about him earlier. It's worth mentioning. Four tackles, one sack, two quarterback hits, one tackle for loss. Is, is this Garrett Wallow in a, a landslide? You know what? I'm going to I'm going to totally throw a wrench in it. And I'm going to go with Derek Rivers. He had two sacks. Now the other guys, yeah, they they certainly should be considered. I, I probably on any other day, but I'm I'm going to do the oddball pick, Robert. I'm going to raise your eyebrows and say Derek Rivers. Like, who is Derek Rivers? I liked what Derek Rivers did. I, I liked what Chris Smith did. I, I was shocked and surprised by both of those guys. But Garrett Wallow, the consistency that he showed me today. And I saw flashes of a guy that is a good tackler in open space, um, has some explosiveness to his game, uh, maybe more than I would have guessed coming out of college. And, you know, you, you want to get excited about the first draft under Nick Casario. Well, maybe we should start getting excited. Brevin Jordan, unfortunately, a little banged up. I don't think he played at all in this game, but he was active. Uh, the other two tight ends, we can talk about how well, we did talk about they struggled yeah. a little bit in this game, but yeah. Brevin Jordan's shown flashes. Nico Collins has shown flashes. Davis Mills has shown flashes and now Garrett Wallow. So Casario, you got to give him a check mark so far on his first draft, a positive check mark to this point. There's a long way to go, but they're at least showing signs, which is more than that Bill O'Brien draft showed last year. <laughs> yeah, you got to start with baby steps, Robert. And yes, I do like Garrett Wallow. I certainly wasn't you know, discounting what he is doing. Uh, just, you know, a little more playing time. Hopefully, you know, like Garrison Matthews and some of the other guys we talk about on the Rockets, the more you play, the better you get. And, and Garrett Wallow is certainly doing that right now. As I know you noticed and a lot of people on Twitter noticed and a, a lot of the broadcast teams were noticing, the Lions won a game today. So that means that whoever lost this game between the Jags and the Texans had basically a good shot at getting the first pick in the draft as the season plays out the rest of the way. There were people on Twitter not so happy that the Texans were blowing it by winning this game. How do you feel about that? Are you, you know, are you upset that they, you know, didn't lose this one and set themselves up for the first pick? Is that something that means a lot in a draft with no franchise quarterbacks that we're seeing look obvious, at least in this case? Robert, I'm just too much of an old fashioned fan. I, I cannot cheer for my team to lose just because they can get a, a, a number one draft pick. I, I've just never been like that. And as I said, kind of off the top, you can have all the top draft picks in the world, but you got to know what to do with it. You got to make them smart. You know, not every overall draft pick works out in the in, in any sport, really. So no, I am too old fashioned. I am not going to cheer for the Texans to lose or the Rockets or whomever, just so we can get the top overall draft pick. You know, for a couple of years in a row, we get good again. It is very, very rare. I would say almost impossible that you could draft somebody with the first pick that's not a quarterback. And like I said, I, I just have not heard any of these quarterbacks being mentioned as, oh, this is a sure, this is a gimme guy that's going to be a franchise guy. So maybe one of these guys turns out to be that guy. But as of right now, it just doesn't look like it. So a non-quarterback with the first pick that's going to make you into a fantastic team all of a sudden or is going to be a game changer really i mean we, we've gotten game changers in the first round with the texans in the middle and late first round you know look at deandre hopkins look at jj watt we've also sucked with the first pick david carr 
was a bust. Yep. I mean, maybe, you know, bad circumstances, but whatever. It didn't work out. Also, Jadavian Clowney, how'd that go? First pick in the draft. And, and that was a draft where the quarterback, you know, just, there wasn't that guy, you know. So to me, like, just show me something from the guys that you got on the team. Get me excited about some of those guys and show me that they've got a future because that's just as important as the guy next year, you know, showing you something that, or that he's got a future. Well, and don't forget, Robert, if the Texans can pull off a Deshaun Watson trade that that results in a pretty high first-round draft pick, if they can do that, well, then you just add to the cart, basically. So you've got that plus your own. So, I mean, all is not lost. And I'm just not going to sit here and say, well, you know, the Texans should just lose out. Maybe, you know, the last game of the season, if it didn't matter, and, you know, you're 2-14 and 14 or 1-15 and 15 as opposed to something else. But, no, I— You've, you've got to do your draft the way it turns out, and you can always pick up, as you said, the late first round and some of these mid-round picks. You never know what you're going to get from one draft to the next and how some of those later picks might actually help you better than some of the top ones. The Texans' first-round pick, if it's number one or not number one in either case, they might be trading down. So that's the other part of the equation. Now, the the value of that pick you know, being second or third as opposed to first takes away from it a little bit. But eh, they, they they might get a team. You never know. Somebody could be excited about a quarterback that you're not excited about. And they go, hey, we'll, we'll give you some real capital for that. So you know, I, I don't know what happens, but I'm not super excited about, oh, let's just be as god awful as we can be. And that's going to mean it's going to, you know, result in something big down the road. I don't know about that. Well, and I, I'll just go ahead and say it, Robert, and be blunt. If you're cheering for your team to lose, regardless of what the reason is, you're not a true fan. Pure and simple. All right, I said it. It's on the podcast now. I was rooting for the Rockets to lose because I, I wanted them <laughs> to have a pick last year as opposed to not have a pick. And and that was another circumstance altogether, though. But that to me, Stephen, I think you had to root for them to lose as much as possible and give them the best chance to keep their pick. Well, it obviously worked because they kept losing and losing and losing some more. And, you know, when it's that many games, Robert, I mean, I guess I could see where that might go. But and it remains to be seen how that works out. But, you know, maybe maybe you did the right thing after all. The NBA, I think they're just way more valuable, those top three or four or five picks in the NFL. You know, occasionally you get that franchise guy and the Peyton Manning or, you know, somebody like that. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. But But you have to also remember in the NBA, you've got the lottery. So just because you have the worst record doesn't mean you're going to get the first pick. So that that obviously takes away a little bit from it. You know, the the wishes you want to get in the lottery. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. And, you know, we talked about that a ton last year. It's time, though, we got to switch gears. And uh, it's time for my letter to Santa on behalf of Texans fans. I know you can't wait for this one, Stephen, right? <laughs> I have been dying to know what your list is for the Texans, Robert. Absolutely. I won't deny it. Not so much a list, but here we go. Uh, Dear Santa, usually I ask you for a gift that you can bring in a package, but this year I'm asking for our owner to find the reason for the season. Christmas is about giving, caring, and just as importantly, it's about seeing the good and others. Cal McNair is having a hard time with seeing the good and bad in the right people. We have hundreds of thousands of Texans fans, players, ex-players. They're good people, and they want the best for Mr. McNair and for the team. Unfortunately, Cal listens to the one person, the only person, that maybe is not looking out for the good. He's only looking out for himself. We need Cal to care about his organization, the whole organization, not the man 
who has made it his mission to shut Cal off from the good all around the city of Houston. Let Cal see that the fans who pay for his lifestyle care much more about him than the man he pays to tell him what he wants to hear. Most importantly, Santa, please make Cal find the reason for the football season. Signed, Texans fan. You know, it's funny, Robert. I would, uh, my list as far as or my wish for the Texans on my Christmas list is very similar to yours. And I didn't I wasn't doing this on purpose, but I guess I have a medical theme going because Santa, I would like to see if you can just give Cal McNair a completely new set of eyes because the ones he's the, the ones he got originally don't appear to be working because he doesn't seem to see who is around him and the value that they offer the team or don't offer the team, in the case of Jack Easterby, Cal needs a new set of eyes so that he can see people in a totally different light. And maybe he will get it right and the Texans will eventually stop being the laughingstock of the NFL. That's my wish for the Texans. I think it's obvious to everybody and we all have the same wish for the Texans and it doesn't change until you know, he can see the light and there was one guy in the organization that somehow is trying to convince himself and everybody else that, you know, he knows what's best for him. And, you know, he's the guy that only Cal should listen to. And frankly, Stephen, I, I don't understand anybody with the philosophy that says, you know what, everybody else is wrong. You have to listen to me. And anywhere in life, you would hear that you would go, wait a second. That's not the guy I should listen to if that's what his philosophy is. And I just I just don't understand it. I, I can't believe that anybody would fall for that kind of thing. I mean, I, I you can because you see it so often, but it's just it's it's remarkable that that Cal, you know, it's not it's not like bad lineage. You know, Bob McNair was a pretty wise guy. You would hope some of that would have rubbed off. I mean, Bob wasn't perfect, but. You know, there was definitely some real wisdom with that guy. You know, Robert, I've been in management, not in sports, but in radio broadcasting. And I cannot tell you how many people that I worked with, either in, in, you know, whether I was a manager or not, I don't even know how to describe it. But they are the absolute salesmen and they can talk upper management into doing just the, the most amazing and crazy things. I, I don't know where these people come from. I don't know how they get in the positions they do, but... They obviously know they, they have a talent, a gift <laughs> to warming their way in to people's ears and whispering in their ear to the point where that person, you know, whether it's Cal McNair, you know, the CEO of, a, of another business will basically just rely on that person and that person alone for the advice. And obviously that's what Cal McNair has been doing for years. The old saying was he could sell ice to an Eskimo, but Stephen, I don't know if that phrase works anymore. We're in climate change. <laughs> you, yeah. you might, Eskimos in, might want ice. <laughs> yeah, I think there's becoming an ice shortage. Uh, so Eskimos are probably not going to get as much, but no, but that's really what it is, Robert. It's just, there are some people who just know how to step on enough toes and climb the ladder to get to the person that they can whisper in their ear. And that person falls for it. And it's a shame because really, one person doesn't make an entire organization successful. And most of the time, though, they can destroy it. One person can do a lot of damage. And look at what Jack Easterby's done to the Texans. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you go, well, uh, let's root for, you know, let's ask Santa for Tom Brady or, you know, the next John Elway or the next Joe Montana or something like that. But I don't think you get to the, the, the problem is you can't get to that point 
without the right people in charge and the right people running the organization. And I think it is about the whole organization when it's all said and done. Well, if you think about it, if you think about it, we got Deshaun Watson, who who might have been the next Tom Brady. And of course, that was all on Deshaun that he screwed that up. But but even when Deshaun was there, if it weren't for him, the Texans would be even worse than they were. They They still couldn't get to the point where they could win with him. And a lot of that had to do with the leadership. We have not forgotten about Astros fans. And I'll start my asking of Santa with my letter to Santa for Astros fans. Dear Santa, thank you for all the wonderful gifts in the last few years. We love our Tucker toy, the big stuffed Jordan, the wind-up hitter Brantley, our cuddly Altuve, and so much more. I don't know if it's too much to ask, but we need a real Christmas miracle this year. We need you to let us keep our super powerful Correa robotic arm shortstop for at least a couple more years. I know you only put seven years on the warranty, and maybe you think we would outgrow it at this point. I totally understand if it's too much to ask, but we love him so much. We want to keep our robotic arm shortstop. We want to keep Correa. Signed, Astros fan. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I know, you know, Greg Lucas is nodding his head because he he believes in Santa, obviously. He believes Santa is going to provide that. He said it on this very podcast. Well, he didn't say Santa was going to do it because it was too early for Christmas. But, you know, Greg is, is very optimistic that Carlos Correa will remain with the Astros. I'm not so much, but, well, Robert, you know, I try to believe in Santa. It is Christmas, so I'm going to go with you on this one. But I, I'm also on my Christmas list of what I want Santa to bring me is, you know, and, and obviously going with Correa, keeping him goes a long way for this. I just want Santa to bring me another World Series title for the Astros that is it's it's not going to be tainted. It's not going to be one of those, you know, you get it from the store, you put it together, you love it and you use it and it's oh, it's awesome. Oh, it's working so great. And then one day it just totally quits working. I mean, you spent your whole life wanting that toy and you got it and it was great and then it just totally broke down. I want a new one. That's going to last me for the rest of my life. That's what I want. Another World Series championship that nobody can say is tainted, that it's real. Agreed. And I thought about this, too. I thought, you know, Santa, he's really good at opening letters. And maybe, you know, we should have asked him to open that Yankees letter. Yeah, that would be a nice wish, too, because nobody else seems to want to. And, you know, Santa, yeah, he gets a lot of letters, but somehow he manages to open them all. So maybe wonder if there's a way, you know, maybe one of his elves can plant that Yankees letter, you know, in his bag so he can open it. I don't know. I, I'm looking for that, too. Well, before I finish it up, uh, I'd like to thank all our regular listeners for keeping us company in the last eight plus years of the show. And especially this year when you're getting together with your friends and family members in the next couple of weeks. Please let the Houston sports fans know about our show, which is always a free gift we give you every week. Also, just a heads up that there might not be a Texans postgame show the remainder of the season. Steven's taking a couple of vacation weeks for the next two Texans games, and I'm scheduled to move not just uh, myself, but all my junk over to another place on the <laughs> final Texan Sunday of the season, which means I doubt I'll see the game that Sunday. I'm planning to do shows the next three weeks, something somehow, most likely a special Rockets guest or some other experts. Keep your eyes peeled to our Houston sports talk feed, Stephen. I, I think that's the, the safest bet. It might not be the same, the usual time that we're doing it, putting it out on Monday morning, but um, I'm going to have something. Yeah, absolutely, Robert. And 
you know, I, I also want to thank those of you who listen so faithfully, because without you, I mean, Robert and I'd be talking to each other, and that's about it. And, you know, sometimes he probably gets tired of that. But, Robert, I also just want to thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast with you once again this year. You know, it, it, sometimes it's a great ride, and sometimes it's a bumpy ride, depending on how Houston teams do. And that's obviously not your fault. It's just the way things go. But I tell you what, you know, I've, I've been a sports fan almost my entire life. I, I did sports casting for a living many years ago. I haven't done it in a long time. But this is just a way for me. It, it's a vehicle for me to talk Houston sports, which I've never gotten tired of, even though I've been away from Houston for a little over 40 years now. So I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast and you know, just do my passion of you know being on the airwaves again and talking Houston sports. Yeah, we didn't plan this, but we were on the same page because I wanted to thank Stephen for being my partner every week for this. This podcast is a labor of love for both of us. Steve and I weren't friends and barely knew each other before I asked him to be the co-host for me. And, and I consider him a close friend now. The two of us have gone through a ton, both professionally and personally, in the last couple of years of doing the podcast. Steven's a better person than I can possibly explain to anybody out there. Since this is our last podcast together in 2021, I want to raise a glass of Dusty Baker's hammering Hank kind of virtually uh, to toast you as uh, his specialty wine, Stephen. I'm, I'm raising a glass to you right now. All right. I'll take it, Robert. I appreciate it, buddy. Until next time, please check in with the family or friend or just somebody that you think might be a little bit lonely during this time of year. Don't text them or email them. Give them a call. They need you right now. Have a safe and healthy holidays, everyone. Listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>